Well, welcome everyone. Uh, this is my first interview podcast, and I'm going to call it Eric's One-on-One. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm supposed to be backfilling Mr. Mishka because uh, he was responsible for a lot of the interviews. So I'm trying to figure out a way and a, and a format that makes sense for me. Um, and, you know, what I came down to after talking to uh, a few people like Ethan in particular was that the reason he likes doing pod, uh, interview podcasts is he likes to talk to people or, or talk about two people or two companies that he doesn't understand or that he wants to understand more. And so I think I'm, I'm just going to leverage what he's doing and, and do that kind of thing. These are not meant to be like, you know, PR fluff. It's my goal basically to understand what these companies and these people do, how they fit within the ecosystem itself, and basically how they solve problems um, and innovate in their fields. Um, so that's going to be the focus of my one-on-one -on -one interviews. Now, my first interview slash victim is uh, WeHype. Um, and you know why am I kind of interested in this? Well, I think the current UA environment um, with traditional marketing um, has been under attack and almost annihilated by Apple. So alternatives must be found to attract these audience. Um, and part of that thesis is that, you know, brands and IP will become more and more prevalent as going forward, right? Whether it's existing IP or brands that we know, but also new brands in uh, gaming brands that need to be developed. So my question here is um, how does WeHype, um, which is a, a service that allows you to access the creator economy <laughs> to help build brands, how does that create an alternative channel that will help build awareness and most hopefully, most likely purchase intent uh, for those brands and IP? So that's why I care. That's why I'm interested. So we have uh, Robin uh, Astrom. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, founder of WeHype, um, and they are an influencer marketing company um, focused on gaming. And Robin has been doing this quite a long time, I think most of his professional career. So he is more, quote unquote, an expert in kind of this new marketing vehicle. Um, now, of course, when I was in marketing, these things did not exist. So I'm a little bit out of my element. So that's part of the reason I'm bringing here. So tell us a bit about yourself and the back your background, Robin. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me, Eric. Uh, and my name is, is Robin from um, 28 years old from Sweden, running a company called WeHype. Um, and as you're mentioning, we built a platform for influencer marketing in the in the gaming universe. And we've been running the company now for six years. And when we started, this was like really in the early days of of content creation and and quite early for influencer marketing as well. So. So, I mean, um, in essence, what we do is that we we kind of tap into the different social media platforms um, and focusing on YouTube and Twitch uh, within gaming uh, to kind of build an ad network out of all of these creators. So, you know, on, on YouTube, there are more than 60 million gaming channels alone. Um, so, if you are a brand or a game publisher wanting to kind of uh, work with these creators. How do you know which or which groups of creators is a good fit for you and your brand? That is what we're, uh, what we're building out. So we're categorizing all of these channels based on the content they produce and based on the audiences they have and based on the performance they can drive uh, for certain brands and games and, and, and then optimizing yeah, for, for advertisers for that basically. 
The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle, and it helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales or go to the link in the podcast description below. So what, what are like the primary metrics which you seg- segment these audiences? On yeah. These different so platforms? it's, yeah, so, so, so I mean, you look at, um, at anything from the size of the audience to the engagement within certain content categories uh, down to really demographics of of those audiences and and i think that also what is um uh, important to take note on is that in influencer marketing it's more of a contextual channel so people are interested both in following a specific creator but also the context and the content for it so it's quite different from a lot of other advertising channels in that sense Got it. So, like, you know, part again, part of the overall thesis here is that, uh, you know, to build that likely going forward, we're going to have to build more mass market games attracting like broader audiences. Right. And and performance marketing is going to have it's it's continued to have its place. It's not going away anytime soon, but it's going to be far less effective. Like, how do you think like we hype the platform itself can effectively replace or supplement like these traditional you know marketing vehicles? Yeah, so I mean we are seeing a few a few trenches happening. One of them as you're as you're speaking about with performance marketing being quite heavy on on privacy, hyper targeting and with the IDFA and, and these type of regulations coming into place, they're not going to stop anytime soon. It's going to, to be more regulations um coming up and 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 that you know the game publishers and developers using performance marketing need to find other vehicles and other channels to reach out. So so we come in as a supplement there um, to be able um, to, to help them reach their audiences in a more contextual manner. So I think that's important. And then other trends that we're seeing, you know, in general, people are spending more and more time following their favorite creators on the new channels, social media channels that are popping up. So we are really providing a strong uh, performance-based channel to reach these audiences where they where you have their attention and where they actually spend their time. Um, so so we see ourselves not only as a supplement, but also really as the, the future for how games reach gamers, uh, I would say. But now, 
historically, I, my experience though is that this has not been really translated all that well to mobile yet. Is it primarily PC console, or I mean, like what games are you really focused on, um, or is it moving towards mobile? Like I know Genshin Impact, I think was pretty big uh, yeah. um, focus for this this type of marketing. Um, like, yeah, what is your what has been your focus, and, and do you see mobile as a bigger part of the mix these days? Yeah, so um, we started 2016. That was definitely much more PC console heavy. And these platforms as well, if you look at Twitch, if you look at YouTube and the content there are on those platforms, PC games are much more kind of native and organic. It's really what the creators have been focusing on. Right. Uh, but as, as this has been growing, and mobile games has, you know, since 2016 and where we are today, are much more engaging uh, there are better graphics and and it's more entertaining to look at certain mobile games as well so that's a natural kind of shift that is happening um but it's also about um um about integrating mobile games into the organic content so let's say you have a youtube video that is 10 minutes long and they can be speaking about anything. You can, it can be a vlog video, a lifestyle video, but you're integrating a message for a mobile game within that content. And that is something that is driving a lot of growth currently in the ecosystem. So, I mean, it, it, it's ma majorly because um, Twitch and YouTube, it's more or it's been more circled around hardcore gamers um whereas mobile games more tapping into a casual audience and in order to reach this more casual audience you cannot work with gaming content you need to be working with like lifestyle content and other categories of content to tap into yeah this more casual audience and 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 kind of now we're seeing technology enabling this type of you know um advertising formats that is needed uh, for this to happen and 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 it's also like this general shift of of mobile mobile game publishers needing to find alternative channels if they're going to keep up with their user acquisition needs. Um, so, right, and yeah. and I guess because people are moving more cross-platform, you know, with games like Genshin and and you know others likely to follow. Um, yeah, particularly going forward, then this will become part of the uh, the top of the funnel on the PC to and mobile for that matter, right? So yeah. it kind of like yeah, lends itself. Um, so I guess the real question I have is, um, you know, performance marketing on console and, and PC has been interesting, but like, can you actually measure the success of these uh, campaigns like the same type of way, ROAS, you know, and all those other metrics that we see, like how has that kind of evolved? I imagine Initially, it was more of just a huge top of the funnel, early stage type, um, you know, promotion. But can you actually measure the success of campaigns that are on your platform? Yeah, so that's um, that's also true that it historically has been very awareness driven, top of funnel. Um, but we're now seeing a more um, sophisticated methods of measuring and you can also tap into and use the the regular MMPs such as Adjust and other measurement partners, just as you would be doing with your other performance marketing channels. I think one of the big differences from regular performance marketing channels and influence marketing is that it's not always direct response. So you're also 
um, building your brand for your IP or game as you're uh, you or trying to, to get like a direct response or conversion or install to happen. So you would need to find other uh, ways of measuring or you cannot direct translate how you're doing this on your other channels and and be successful within influencer marketing you can attribute part of the campaigns but you also need to look at the organic uplift and you need to look at other uh, parameters in a combination and that's something that we're working uh, quite intense to to kind of drive and, and to help this game uh, developers and publishers to find these right measurements but yes you can measure deeper down the funnel you can and we are doing uh, campaigns that are optimizing for ROAS for CPI and for lower down the funnel metrics got it and, and I guess you know like traditional marketing for console PC has been somewhat um, I mean the mix has changed from like TV print you know, even retail to more yeah. online channels. And so you've been part of that mix change for a lot of these traditional console PC space, right? That's kind of yeah. why, why, you know, why it's valuable. Um, again, I guess going back, I mean, I haven't really given this enough a thought, I suppose, is that I think it's relatively clear that console PC is, is the, the, these, there have been successful campaigns. Like how do you measure that success, like objectively? Um, do you compare it to other campaigns? Do you, I mean, I guess you can't compare it to other types of spend necessarily. Um, but like, yeah. what are the, what are the key metrics for yours versus others platforms? Yeah. So, um, one of the, if you look at, at the PC console segment, um, it's again, it's a lot about brand marketing and, and, and top of the funnel awareness metrics. So let's say on Twitch, you can measure your share of voice on the Twitch platform in the specific genre or category. So let's say it's an action game. So you can look at what is the what what are your competitors share of voice and you're launching your game or doing a promotion. How big piece of that pie are you kind of generating and exposing on the Twitch uh, platform? And we have seen quite strong correlations between your concurrent viewership numbers, so the amount of concurrent people watching your game, watching creators streaming your game, and how that translates into Steam active players. So there's a quite close correlation often between your exposure on social media and how well the game is going. That That is not for all games, but that are for some parts of games. So that is a, a, a quite um, regular uh, way of measure measurement and the same goes on YouTube you can look at your share of voice on that platform in certain categories and also in certain territories so geographically uh, and that can also be translated then into into actually active players um, so you're leveraging you're leveraging their um, analytic systems for YouTube and others to like help kind of quantify how successful you've been on your platform on your on your campaigns Basically. Yes. Yes. So you look at, I, I, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said that often, often uh, campaigns that run through WeHype includes hundreds of, of influencers, content creators. And one of the interesting factors is also to look at the network effect that you're generating. So let's say you are full following five different YouTube channels. We can identify and try to map out which audiences 
uh, kind of overlaps on different channels. And then we can specifically group a campaign to, to target channels that have an overlapping audience to generate a stronger effect. Um, and that also can generate, let's say on Twitch, you, you uh, work with a hundred creators and then other creators see that they are kind of being promoting this game and they're following through and you're generating earned media that is all, also being translated into actual value for the publishers. Uh, so that's uh, also there's quite a you know, speaking of the platforms, I mean, again, I'm, my ignorance is here, but YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are others that, but those are the three big ones, right? Like, how, how do you kind of rank these platforms? And, and you know, I mean, honestly, how easy are they to use or to work with, frankly? I mean, like, I can imagine all this drama that's going on at Twitch right now is can't be really good for your business, but maybe not. Maybe maybe that helps you. I don't know. What What, what is the dynamics? I know it's a really open-ended question, but what are the dynamics of these platforms and how are they to work with just generally? Yeah. So first off, I want to say that we're really where the creators are. So as we have been building our business, we were very Twitch-heavy in the beginning. We expanded into YouTube. Uh, we're currently expanding into TikTok as well. And this, all these platforms have different dynamics. So Twitch is more on, if you look on the audience spectrum, it's more on the hardcore uh, segment, still very PC oriented. And it's also live content, obviously. It's really the dominating force in live content. So that, um, what does that mean? Okay, so Twitch is good for a particular type of game that is entertaining to watch for a longer period of time. It also caters to a more hardcore audience. You go into YouTube, YouTube is really the dominating force in, in VOD, video on demand. And, and like videos of, of 5, 10, up to 30 minutes. And it's also tapping into a more casual type of audience. And you can use different formats for influencer marketing. So you can do dedicated full videos, 10 minute long sponsored video for a game. But you can also, as I were speaking about before, tap into like a, a integrated segment. So integrate a mobile kind of ad into a native content of like, let's say 60 seconds. So that gives them a, a different type of opportunity for games that are not maybe super entertaining to watch, but they're fun to play. So, so uh, that is a good objective for that. And then you have TikTok, which is even tapping into a more hyper casual type of audience. It's really the dominating force in short term um, um, videos, ob obviously portrait mode. So if you consider like what is my game and what type of audience uh, do I want to reach, it's quite easy to then try to map out which platforms is the best um, for me. And, and at we have, we try to kind of quantify and, and blend this together so that you don't have to even think about do I need to go on YouTube or on Twitch or on TikTok? It's more about inputting, this is my game and this is the audience I want to reach. And these are my objectives or goals, ROAS, CPI awareness. And based out of that information, we can automatically suggest which platform and which creators would kind of drive the best impact for your goal. Uh, let me, hmm, I don't know if you can answer this question, but this whole change with Twitch, um, I mean, in theory, kind of moving away from these huge uh, audience, sorry, these contributors with huge audiences to more of a smaller yeah. uh, audience contributors, uh, because 
I was thinking that it's just basically the cost it just does not justify like the amount of people that are watching these streams cost them so much money that it doesn't make sense to pay them. They should pay them less than not more. Is that you think that's a reasonable assumption or is I, that something you can't don't know or can comment on? I mean, I can comment on that. I think it's good that they're in to try to democratize. That is at least their ambition is good that they see, okay, it should be fair for all creators when it comes to the revenue share and to the value share on their platform. And they're trying to make great moves uh, and take initiatives to help smaller uh, streamers and creators grow on their platform. Whether this move of kind of reducing the revenue share for bigger creators will actually benefit the smaller ones, I don't know because a lot of audiences and people come into these platforms due to these bigger creators. And if you de-incentivize them, that right. might also have a negative impact for the smaller creators. So again, I think right, because that, it, yeah. you're basically reducing their audience in theory for the entire platform. Could do. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to say, but I think that the ambition is right. Whether the execution is, is the best one or not, I, I don't know. Let me, let me ask you a more specific question. So if you take, you know, 100 creators that drive a million impressions or you take one creator that drives a million impressions, like from your perspective as an advertiser or a, 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 which, which, which group is more valuable, right? Like Very good question. Yeah, so it's, it depends on your goal. So let's say um, if your goal is awareness, you want everyone... You want as many people as possible just to know about your game. It might be more cost efficient to go with one big creator uh, because kind of the CPM could be lower. But if you want to drive conversions, installs, ROAS and so on, we have seen much higher impact and effect going with a, a, a bigger group of smaller creators uh, reaching the same amount of people in the end. And I think that's quite natural as well. It's, you know, if you have an audience of a thousand live viewers, you cannot simply influence these thousand as well as you can if you have 10 people sitting in your live stream. You can almost speak to each and and every one of them and you can have a very high impact on. We have seen uh, with smaller creators, I, I remember a test we did, this was in I think back in 2020. We did, um, we did a test with a creator who had 50, 50 live viewers for a mobile game and he managed to get 40 of them to install the game so you know what is that in terms of like conversion rates it's incredibly high so if you scale that let's say you take then 100 100 creators with 50 people each in their audience and you apply the same conversion rate you can have a, an amazing impact so I, when I look into, okay, what is the future for, for, for this industry and, and what are we building for? It's really that. It's really enabling smaller creators to be able to monetize, but it's also enabling the advertisers to be much more cost efficient and effective with their marketing. So uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of companies trying to do this, but you really need the technology. You need the kind of the insight on these creators because there's also a kind of a brand safety risk of working with as many individuals and how can you keep control and how can you verify they have 
done what they actually should do and so on. But that is really where I think that the value lies, especially for, for mobile mobile games as well, as they're very kind of heavy on, on the performance uh, of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's interesting. If you were to target 50 people and get 40 spenders, right, in one campaign, right, that's like... Yeah super valuable in mobile even at that level but but also at scale so all right and, that, um, and that and that may that may be why twitch is starting i mean that was my kind of thought is that that's why twitch is kind of moving away is because they see what the value is of, of of smaller streamers maybe not only from the management or the cost side but also from the potential marketing and advertising you know you know yields i suppose are they that sophisticated or is it um, is that part of their calculus, you think, or is it more of just a cost issue? Yeah, it, I, I cannot really comment, and I don't really know what the objective is for um, for Twitch in, in that sense. But again, I think that their ambition, and they're speaking about like wanting to do good for the entirety of their community, and not only the bigger creators. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the end play is and, and, and so on, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. I mean, I, I just don't buy that at all with, with that. I think it, it's got to be a dollars and cents issue, either on the top line or the bottom line, one of the two, maybe yeah. a combination of both. But, but you know me, I'm, I'm more cynical about those sorts of things. Um, speaking of cynical, um, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that on the, on the one side, like working with these providers like uh, YouTube and Twitch and, um, and, and, and Facebook, et cetera, whatever, they must be relatively sophisticated in terms of ease. Uh, you know, what are the, what are, but I imagine that the creators are the worst, right? I mean, the creators gotta be half morons, right? How is it working with these guys in terms of getting them to do what you need them to do? Because I imagine a lot of your brands and companies do not want idiots on YouTube or TikTok, you know, cursing or, you know, nudity or lewdness or whatever. And so, like, how do you keep these creators under control so that they, they don't damage the brands that they're trying to support? Um, and maybe I'm characterizing these influencers a little bit harshly, but I, I see them all the time. I watch my daughter watch these morons talking about games all the time. Like, how do you keep them in check? Like, how do you work with those creators uh, to keep keep that stuff in line? Yeah, so these are, um, we have to remember that it's on YouTube alone more than 60 million creators. So it's a huge industry. Uh, And um, the vast majority of the creators we work with are great individuals, creative individuals. Um, They need support, obviously. That's why we're building tools and we have teams supporting on campaigns that we're running. Um, But but in in general, First of all, you have kind of the filter of the Twitch policy, the YouTube policies, restricting what you can do and what you cannot do. Uh, But I think that more importantly, we need to remind ourselves what this really is. So it's supposed to be authentic content. Influencer marketing in its core is about authenticity. And that's why we always remind our brands that Giving like an instruction sheet of saying X, Y, and Z is not what's going to give you the best results. These people know their audiences the best, and they should be able to speak to their audiences in their own language. That's not to say that they should do something that is 
inappropriate. Uh, we're never advising on that. But but I think that advertisers need to rethink um, on the control, level of control they can have on other channels and the level of control, if they want to keep that level of control, that will degrade the results and performance that you're getting out of influencer marketing. The best influencer marketing campaigns and companies, they are bold, but they're also, of course, clear on which creators they want to work with, what type of filters and how they can kind of identify these creators. Um, of course, that is, yeah. So, okay, all right. So how does the nuts and bolts of this work? So for instance, so if I want to do a campaign with you and I want to access a certain demographic of creator, demographic of audience that they reach, and you put together this mix of creators across different platforms, do I have like veto control? Like I, I don't want anything to do with cutie pie or whatever that, you know, that dude, right? That guy's an idiot and he doesn't represent my brand. So I don't, he's out, right? Is that, do they have that kind of control or is that something you obviously wouldn't recommend in theory for them to like individually uh, cancel people, but uh, like, and, how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, it's it's really a mix and it depends on your preferences, but it also depends on your goals. So let's say if you say, I want to optimize for OWASP, but I also want control on saying, I don't want to work with PewDiePie and I don't want to work with this creator and that creator. But what if those creators is the ones that will generate the best impact and the best performance. Those do not really go hand in hand. So, so you can have certain brand safety filters and certain kind of parameters that you want to target on, but that also limits your ability to optimize for certain goals. So most of the time, let's say you're in for, you want to have brand preference and awareness, that's your goal okay you can have quite good control on which creators to work with but if you want to maximize on the lower deeper down the funnel metrics um it's more about our intelligence in the platform and data we have to be able to go out and find not only individual creators but clusters of creators that can generate the best impact for on, on your goals so um so yeah I, okay. All right. I got you. So what is the kind of the mix that you are recommending from a, I mean, I know it depends on the product, right? But like, um, let's say I have, I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, I have a new survival shooter coming out. Um, and do you make some kind of assumption on what demographic you should be approaching? And then you build a mix between the different platforms and the different creators. Like how do the mechanics of that actually work? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very good question. So if um, let's say it's a it's a survival game and we're inputting that into into our platform and then we can automatically generate and see which creators have, let's say, in the past 90 days been creating content with successful engagement and other metrics for that type of game. So similar games to the one that you're launching. So we Stop can... for a second. Stop for a second there. So where are those metrics coming from? Are those coming from the platform holders themselves? Yeah. Or do you so... get do you get actually that data yeah. sent to you? Yeah. Like proprietary data yeah. from Yeah, so so we get uh, we get data from from APIs, from Twitch, from YouTube, 
and other platforms and we're combining okay. that data and then we also have proprietary technology to be able to find let's say we have a match on one creator we can we can analyze that channel and we could go out and find siblings look-alike channels for that channel to kind got of it, scale that so so that's how in 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 very short we're able to identify channels that it should be a good fit for your game because we see that they have produced successful successfully content for similar IPs or titles in the near past. Um, so that's a kind of a good prediction. Then. Right. And so the second question, do you have actually direct relationships with these creators or are you just yeah. leveraging the APIs from the platforms? No, we have. So this is also a very, I mean, there are, I think that when we looked at this, there are more than a thousand influencer marketing platforms. And most are like, consider intelligence platforms so you can identify creators, but do they really have access to these creators? If you click the bottom, I want to work with creator X, Y, or Z, do you really get access to that creator? In many cases, unfortunately not. So that's something that we've been working uh, super hard on, on actually building out a network, creator kind of ad network, where we have direct access to these creators. Got it. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a community that we can actually activate. A lot of campaigns we do have a turnaround time of only one week. Sometimes it's only 72 or 48 hours uh, until get to get something going. Wait a minute, you mean people are building campaigns in 48 hours? Yeah. That doesn't seem very uh, traditional publishing. Usually they're planning like, 12 months in advance, usually, yeah. right? Yeah, interesting. So you, you, uh, you would be surprised that I'll, um, in, in a lot of cases, even though you're planning for maybe 24 uh, months in advance, because you know the IP is being launched and, and you're iterating your, on your different marketing plans, a lot of things happen um, just days before the launch. And also once you launch, you need to be very fast on identifying how it's being picked up by creators and how you can kind of leverage that initial data that you get to be able to fast kind of maybe add in a new bunch of, of, of creators or reaching a new audience quite early on in, in the launch of your game to, to be successful. And also there's the dynamics of the creator economy, I imagine, is that there's, they come and go, right? You know, yeah. the one minute they're like the top of the heap and the next minute they say some something sexist or racist and they're canceled. So therefore, you know, you got to move on to the next one. Right. Um, I mean, so. I mean, uh, it happens, um, uh, of course, but I think th this is also quite inter interesting when you look at the different platforms. So uh, we've been looking very closely at, at TikTok for a long period of time and TikTok is is a lot about following if you're a consumer or you're an actual watcher on TikTok, you're, you're tapping into trends and you're following content. You're also following creators, but not uh, to the same extent that you're doing on, right. on Twitch. So right. that is also quite interesting that on TikTok, you can very fast become a famous creator, but it's quite hard to build fandom out of the audiences that you manage to build out. Whereas on Twitch, we see much more smaller but highly engaged communities that might stay with that creators for, you know, five years, each and every day they go in and they watch that live stream together, maybe a hundred other people every day. So you have extremely high engagement towards the creator on that platform. Right. 
so I guess the one the one thing that kind of concerns me about this type of marketing channel, it feels like a kind of a hype train going into launch, right? So you you support launches by building up the hype week before launch, maybe a week after launch. But after that, like what exactly does the influencer marketing channel provide for these games that are now becoming software as a service? They're no longer just about the launch anymore, yeah. right? Not not all games, obviously. So you they still you can still serve that function for some of these like AAA action games. But for most games that are more software as a service, how do they what's the long term value of the the for the publisher um, to continue to engage the consumer with these influencers. Yeah, so this is something that we're uh, seeing, uh, or, or if you compare it to other marketing channels, actually influence marketing has a unique edge here. So so um, you can really uh, use it and leverage it to build communities in the long term. Um, and that's, so, so you do something for launch, but we are seeing that, that publishers now start to do activities even long, long before launch. You can do offline mm -hmm. testing with creators. You can try to get the intelligence around how entertaining is actually your game for creators to create content for. You do things uh, ramping up to the launch and then after launch, you build out communities with this uh, creator. So there are different incentive models now. Maybe you're not paying to do one video or one live stream. Rather, you're maybe sharing part of the revenue of in-game uh, in items that the creators are driving revenue together with their audiences or other ways of of, of doing that. So, so it's really the best influence marketing is the best tool for post-launch activities to build communities and to reactivate and drive LTV, drive attention. Right. So, so give me some examples of of that because what I've seen is things like Genshin, you know, Apex, Valorant. Those are the ones that seem to be successful. Is yeah. But then I, I look at Valheim, and which is a fucking disaster, right? Yeah. And, and and you know, they did great influencer marketing at launch, but it fell off a cliff. Now. Obviously, that's not influencer marketing problem. That's more of a content problem, probably for Valheim in particular. But give me some great examples of, of success stories, and then some 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 you know games that didn't do well with the, with this channel. Yeah, so might, or may or may not have. <laughs> I think that you're mentioning a, a very important thing, and that is that you cannot simply use only creators to build communities and to, to drive retention. You also need to add new content to the game and you have to do both. If you do both successfully, you add new seasons, new DLCs, updates, content, and you work with creators um, to activate that content, um, that's when you're really successful. So you cannot do only one and lack the other. If you have a very strong IP in game, a lot of creators will just create content without you having to engage too much with them. Um, and I mean, I don't want to go into detail of, of that game being uh, very successful or, or that not being. It happens all the time. Uh, some games, it, they're also like more premium games and they're not very entertaining to watch on a live stream or on a YouTube video. So they're not uh, maybe really, they shouldn't really tap into using creators in the long run. Whereas certain IPs, as you're mentioning Apex, we've been working a lot with electronic arts uh, around like launching new seasons and working with creators and specifically reactivating creators that have churned. So certain creators, they stop, maybe they go over to a competitive title 
maybe they start playing Fortnite or or you know Valorant or something. Those you can specifically target and fight through data and reactivate once you have new content coming up and so on. Um, so so I mean again. You need both. You need new content constantly coming out, so it's interesting for for the people playing, playing, wanting to play the game and stream the game. And you also need to work actively with building a community of creators and incentivizing these creators so that they have some reason to play your game rather than all of the other. It's a very competitive space, so all of the other games are constantly launching, constantly doing things. Um, what, what what are the kind of limitations then on on influencer marketing? Like, what doesn't it do that other yeah. channels will do? Yeah, so it's it's harder if you don't have a great product or a great game. It's harder to use influencer marketing because again, it's authentic. And you need to, you need <laughs> it can to, totally back. Wait, hold on. It's going to totally backfire on you, right? Because if your game is shit, then they're going yeah. to say so, right? And the uh, creators won't pick pick up the game if it's not good. So we see some games that have difficulties, even though they want to put in big budgets and they want to, you know, really work with creators. Creators won't do it because they care about their audience more than they care about the short term cash that they can get. So if you don't have a game that is great it's much harder. Whereas other channels, you can put in as much marketing spend as you want to because the channel won't say no. They would t- take the money, but the creators right. won't. So I think that's a big right. difference. That's actually really interesting because, yeah, the product fit is even more critical with influencers than any yeah. other channel, right? Because no one cares. You can put anything on the Super Bowl. No one yeah. cares. Like maybe They may not pay attention. They not care, but they're not going to badmouth it. Exactly. <laughs> they don't no. like it if it's not interesting yeah. to them. I, that's a good. That's a really good point. So you have to manage that pretty closely. Manage expectations as well, right? Yeah. Um, do you have? To, do you play the games yourself? Do you like? Yes. You have people that kind of. Okay. All the time. And we, I, we actually, speaking with. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, we play the games. We do um, again offline testing with creators to test out what type of creators will actually enjoy this. What type of messaging should we have when inviting these creators into the campaign? So you need to do a sell to get the creators on board. Unless you have a very, you know, anticipated title uh, that is coming out and all creators want to get on board. You need to do a little bit of selling um, towards different clusters of of creators in order to be successful in actually getting them on board. Um, How how is your company set up then? If I mean, are there like... Uh, like like brand no I'm trying to think customer managers for each of these different cu- customers or product managers for different products so that you're yeah. finding the right fit between the uh, the publisher as well and and the influencer yeah like, so that is that and most of this is done through uh, technology and intelligence when when looking at matching the right games with the right creators so that is again it's crucial to have that fit right to be successful right. but then we also have a creator success team. And these are people that are ex-creators themselves. They really understand on a deep level how you engage with creators and how you're being successful. So that's also one of the interesting uh, parts is that to be successful, you need the right technology, insight and data, but you also need the right people and expertise to speak to these creators on their language. I imagine you're not hiring any 51-year-olds there, right? Like you would never hire me. 
to be a uh, influencer <laughs> engager or whatever the hell you call them, right? Uh, like it's all not, young kids. I mean, maybe not, maybe not today, but this has been, I, I've been in this industry for 12 years and it's now starting to mature much more. Um, so we are seeing, I mean, there's a lot of creators that are in their 35s, 40s, and, and this will, you know, in 10 years, they will be in the 50s and in the 60s. So it's, it will ch yeah, change. Yeah, you think? No, I, I, what I think is that you're going to age out, right? And so no one's going to want to talk to you because you're going to be too old. So you're going to have to move on. No, we'll or hire see. people below yeah. you that can, that, that, that can stay relevant with this group of, of kids. You know, I don't know. What do I know? Um, yeah. Let's see. Oh, you know, like what is, what is like the long-term vision? Like what is the kind of, where do you see the company moving to, to three to five years? Not like the results, you know, selling yourself or whatever, but like what can we expect from the space in terms of evolution um, over time? Yeah, so I mean, creators, gaming is is really the future of entertaining. You you see everything blending together with, you know, movies and TV series becoming games and vice versa, and and it's really driving the future of entertainment. And then you have creators, which is really the future of media. It's where people tend to spend more and more of their time. So in that intersection, you have something very interesting. Uh, and and we are very focused on kind of building the infrastructure and incentive layer so that these two parties, the game makers, the game publishers and developers and the content creators can exchange value uh, in a way that is natural and, and in a way that is beneficial for both, both parties. And we're also seeing more and more um, kind of collab driven, driven efforts in which creators their own IPs and their brands are getting integrated into games and creators are building experiences within this game, such as Roblox. It's huge. There are a lot of creators that build their own worlds and experiences within Roblox, create content for that. And that is great value for Roblox, but it's also great value for the creators being able to kind of leverage the mechanics and, and building blocks of, of Roblox. So, so we are very excited to kind of facilitate that connection and building the incentive layer so that these two parties can can collaborate uh, seamlessly very cool i uh i feel like i've learned actually quite a bit about this type of thing i am constantly amazed at how uh engaged you know my my you know anecdotally my kids are with this economy particularly my daughter yeah so um it seems like a very worthwhile channel uh to pursue. Um, and it seems like everyone's kind of going that direction. How it moves to mobile is going to be interesting. Um, the games that are specifically mobile, I can see TikTok as being a pretty big channel potentially because yeah. there's an immediate uh, push to the store. But uh, that's interesting. So the final question, I'm going to try to ask this to all my interviewees if I keep doing this, um, is uh, like, in what way does you think your product service help solve a problem or innovate within the interactive industry? Yeah. So it's a good question. And for us, um, we know that all the the macros, the trends are pointing the direction of pe people spending more time on social media following their favorite creators. So it will be inevitable for advertisers and game makers that 
they need to work with creators in order to reach their audiences. But the, the big problem is that there are millions and millions of creators. And it's really currently a bit of a hit, hit and miss if you're trying to do it yourselves. How can you really ensure that the creators you're working with will show up, will do it in the right way, will actually drive performance and value for your brand? So we're uh, solving that problem so that when you go to WeApp, you can actually trust that you can optimize for certain KPIs and measurements. You can actually trust that there will be a, a level of brand safety and you can actually trust that, you know, you can actually be able to, to kind of um, execute the campaign the way that you want to. Uh, so I think that's, that's the, the, big, the big question is not whether this will be the future or not. It's already here and it's growing massively. Um, the question is like, which company will be able to provide and, and package this as an ad channel that is trustable, that is scalable, and they can actually drive good performance. Uh, yeah. Very good. So how can they reach out to you and uh, get more information about WeHype? Yeah, so you can uh, reach out on, on LinkedIn at WeHype or, or you can PM me directly at Robin Ostrom uh, or going to our website, uh, which is WeHype.com. All right. Thank you so much, Robin, for being my first guest and victim. Um, uh, hopefully we'll do some more of these, but thanks a lot for uh, coming and talking with me. Thank you for having me, Eric. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.